Hi everyone, it's Adam from Monkey Tennis here, just saying a huge thank you to all of you that have supported my charity appeal uh, so far. For those that haven't heard about it, this September I'm going to be swimming uh, 15 kilometres uh, between five islands in Cornwall. Uh, I'll be swimming the Isles of Scilly, that's Scilly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. Um, I'm doing it because I want to, but also to raise money for Calm, the campaign against living miserably. It's a well-known statistic that 125 people in the UK die by suicide every week, and Calm run a free and confidential helpline for people to speak through their problems and ultimately to help prevent suicides. Um, I'm looking to raise enough money to train two new phone workers um, to man those lines um, and I'll be doing it by swimming the Isles of Scilly in Cornwall. Um, if you're looking to support me, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, you can donate at justgiving.com. Um, just go there and search for Adam Swim Silly. That's Adam Swim Silly, S-C-I-L-L-Y. All donations greatly appreciated. Thank you for helping me to support Calm. And now on with Monkey Tennis. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Aha! Damn! Back of the net. Monkey tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist! Damn! Sorry, that was just a noise. Monkey tennis? I got, uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism, more distance between the eggs and the beans. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're all right, packing. Basically, beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Can I have a glass of water, please? Hello and welcome to Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. It's the podcast with the speed of a pack of middle-aged police dog lovers, the appeal of one of Pete Gabatas's 35-kilo lady replicas, and the conviction of a man pouring weekly at a 50-inch plasma. Join us as we attempt to gift you the illegal tortoise of chat, but end up trying to get the pig of our own mouths to lay even one conversational egg. I'm Adam Brooks, and I'm joined by Tom Dark. Where's my fucking water? I made it very clear I need a glass of water after exercise or else white saliva forms at the corners of my mouth. Nick Alder. My little birdie. And Tom Stab. Double old feckin' bollocks. So, uh, welcome to the show where we're covering uh, this time episode four. Uh, but before we get on to that, uh, this, w- this week in Allen, is there anything uh, that's happened in the news? Any tidbits? Um, I guess one thing I should mention is that Allen's obviously bravely stepped up to the plate for comic relief since our last episode. Uh, we'll be covering that in a separate feedback episode coming soon, along with all of your feedback as well. Uh, anything else on this week in Allen, or are we straight into the episode? Well, I think the Independent uh, are loving it again, weren't they? 
They were. Five-star review. Another five-star review there, um, which obviously we'll, we'll go into uh, give it our own star ratings, as it were. But uh, no, I think now Comic Relief is out of the way. Things are kind of calming down in Alan News and uh, tits bits, as it were. Tit bits. Tits uh, bits. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's go straight on to this week's episode. So before we dive into this week's episode, I thought it just worth kind of sharing my headline thoughts on the episode, which were, and brace yourself, that this was the weakest episode by far. And judging from and and judging from reactions on Twitter, whilst it's not the overwhelming majority, I don't seem to be alone in thinking that this was one of the weaker episodes. Obviously, we can get into the, uh, the specifics, but from my perspective, I didn't enjoy this at all. Obviously, keen to hear what you guys think, though. Also, stat fans, I do break down some uh, statistical uh, sentiment feedback on the episode last week and uh, and this week. Um, so you'll you'll see what I mean uh, when we come to the feedback episode um but i think in much the way that nick was the champion of last week's episode and i wasn't such a big fan of it i think the roles have reversed this week i'm a big champion of this episode and uh nick's not so keen so keen to discuss and do a deep dive on the ep so uh opens with a cold open uh, where alan's recounting uh, an unsubstantiated story of a baby that was saved from a fire in a dog's mouth uh, <laughs> he's got no evidence to back it up he, he apparently, and he even promised he would look at the evidence and just hasn't bothered um, but as he says the balls of that dog have captured the public imagination um, yeah I, I thought that was a brilliant uh, classic uh, Alan trope to open there he's still the lazy broadcaster that we know and love and he never does his research so I think the actual quote from the script is um, yeah I said I would find out more I haven't done that <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like me, to be fair. (laughs) It's fair to say that the balls of that dog did capture my imagination at the beginning of this this episode. Um, I'm obviously a big fan of dogs, and I was very excited about the prospect of a dog-heavy episode. Now, it obviously doesn't really deliver on that, but uh, I did enjoy some of the placards in the background, namely, dogs can be heroes too. We all know that. Uh, She deserves more. No more detail, just... She does, she does. <laughs> and you wouldn't deny a soldier a memorial, which I thought was quite moving. I think you missed that one there. I think there's one more. Well, I... there was one that I couldn't yeah, quite read. It was quite see it, corner, but it, was, uh, I, I it was cut off. I think it said they must be remembered, <laughs> which they must. And they, re- and they really must. <laughs> uh, a little peek behind the curtain of how monkey tennis works. We all kind of go offline when the episode first goes out, um, so we can take it all in, and then we immediately plough into WhatsApp with our immediate thoughts. Um, and obviously... As Nick said at the top of the episode, he's not such a fan of this ep. But um, I do have a note at the beginning of this saying that uh, at this point, Nick must have been excited given the dog placards. So with the initial (laughs) intro, I think Nick's excitement levels must have been high. So high that what followed caused a crash reaction, which was, that was terrible. Very good, yeah. Dogs are very much Nick's blood sugar, uh, if we're we're using this episode in uh, in diabetes terms. (laughs) I mean, I did literally send a screen grab of um, when, when it went out live. I took a picture of uh, the TV and sent it round uh, to the group saying, this is going to be brilliant. And it wasn't. <laughs> uh, so Alan's opening gambit is uh, interrupted with someone shouting aha at him. Uh, this, this episode, in fact, is littered with ahas, but they're mainly weaponized, used against Alan, uh, <laughs> rather than Alan getting to use them himself. There's a great little sideways look from Alan there. He looks annoyed, mm. but... 
about 20 years ago, he would have absolutely loved that. Do you reckon he's more annoyed that he's stopped saying it now and yet other people have started saying it again or just that he's in the middle of broadcasting and it's a bit of a distraction? I don't know. It feels like he would have really liked that 20 years ago. I would go with the, I think it's, they've interrupted a live uh, outside broadcast more than anything. Uh, but a little aside, I did a rewatch with subtitles on because sometimes it's worth doing that just to make sure there aren't any nuances of the script that we're missing. And that aha in the subtitles is listed as a haha. So, which made me wonder is that then connected to the lookalike, the doppelganger that we get to later? Because he also pronounces aha as a haha. Uh, but then I thought it probably wouldn't be his doppelganger because I think Alan would react in a stronger way to something that looks identical to him. So maybe it's one of his farmer mates that's walking past on their way into the into the studio. I think it's a good theory. Or the subtitles are wrong. I think it's the I think it's the latter. <laughs> yeah, but you would. I mean, if you're doing the subtitles for an Alan Partridge program, the difference between haha and aha, particularly in this episode, is very significant. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. The H placement is everything. Um, so there's a signature, uh, sorry, a petition going round that the, these these ladies are going to march to Downing Street about the, uh, the the police dog memorial that they want. Um, it's got a thousand signatures. He says, "Make that a thousand and one," and then does a, a very fake signature <laughs> on the clipboard. Um, I thought this was particularly funny because, especially given this is on BBC One Prime Time, a thousand signatures on a petition is absolutely nothing. Uh, I went to gov.uk to look at some other petitions that have uh, more signatures than a thousand those petitions include make an exception for brass bands to not require a child performance license stop (laughs) stop stop classic modified vehicles losing their original registration number and and crucially uh, topically make houses of parliament alcohol free all of those have got more than a thousand signatures and yet not featured on this time um so, I mean, towards the end of this bit, just before the credits, uh, Alan then tries to make his way through the throng and gets f- suddenly very impatient, uh, shouting, move, 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 get out the fucking way to, uh, <laughs> to, to these people who's taken very seriously moments earlier. Yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed me. that. Yeah. Um, a, a, f- a few other notes I had on this opening as well. Um, it, it definitely establishes that we aren't seeing every episode of this time that Alan does. Uh, because he's talking about the uh, <laughs> the uncorroborated story of a baby uh, being thrown out of a burning building. Um, so I would guess we're probably dipping in and out once a week. So yep. perhaps we are seeing the Tuesday night episodes or uh, however it may be. Which also, um, sorry, that also explains why uh, why the John Baskell aftermath uh, was swept up so quickly and we never got referred to again. Yeah, it, prob- so it probably it, was referred to in, in the APU in the following yeah. day's show. Which, which I think is quite good because otherwise they would get bogged down in stuff like that in in the development of this show with it only being six. Uh, and then also I, I just enjoyed how forcefully he shoves the woman away that has the clipboard as well. Uh, and my, I had a question to the group uh, for this scene before we move on. Uh, what animals would you like to see a monument for? Dogs, I think. <laughs> That's the answer, sure. You, you can yeah. be more specific. <clears throat> All right, okay. Uh, can I... So could it be like for fallen pets? Absolutely. I'm gonna I'm uh, gonna pick uh, my cat Moss, who I'm stroking right now. He's lovely. But I hope that's what you're can doing. They be <laughs> for, uh, yeah, I guess you could have a monument for a living pet. Um, I'd probably say my first cat. I'd have one for all the uh, imaginary dead rabbits of Watership Down. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. 
Um, so we'll, we can breeze through the credits this week, I think, because nothing's changed uh, as far as Alan goes. Um, but can I say how much I enjoyed seeing them again? <laughs> yep, always the same. They do hold up to a, a, a repeated viewing. Um, and then Alan runs to join Jenny on the couch, who is basically back and forth making fun of him for being unfit, at which point he tries to counter <laughs> with the fact that if you look behind reception at David Lloyd's in Norwich, he is cardio king of the month, February. Uh, I presume we all clocked why he uh, is now no longer cardio king of the month in March. Yes, well, so he's, he's been sick on an exercise bike. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. Um Nick, you're, uh, you, you're a fan of a spin class. Have you uh, ever been sick over your handlebars or ever seen anyone be sick over their handlebars? Uh, I've never seen anything even remotely coming close to uh, vomiting on an exercise bike, um, but happy to confirm that I do enjoy spinning uh, twice a week, and then I'll complement that with a yoga session on a Saturday. Would no you say you're no the car- how many times you did it, or how, what yoga you do? <laughs> Nick, would you Is say you're the cardio yoga? king of the South Bank? <laughs> Is it what? Are you the cardio king of the South Bank? Um, definitely not for February um, <laughs> because my ten- my attendance hasn't been as high as it as it normally uh, was. So, so not for February, no. Did anyone see the tweet that we were sent uh, this afternoon as well uh, from Neil the Band saying popped into Norwich David Lloyd Gym and they printed off Alan's certificate? Very helpful people, and there is a picture which literally says cardio king of the week and a big picture of Alan's face on their reception desk. So oh, anyone can check that, anyone. Anyone. Um, as part of him talking about the Hero Dogs campaign, he then barks at Jenny and follows it up by saying, <laughs> I love doing that to women, which is really weird. I missed that li- I missed that follow-up line on the first viewing as well, so I, en- I enjoyed hearing that properly the second time round. That is like, so weird. Yeah, like he's just looking for an excuse to bark at women, and specifically he loves doing it to women, which is very creepy. Uh, do we think that Jenny has kind of got used to Alan a bit by this point? Because she seems a bit more jovial, a bit more relaxed. There's less of the sort of um, uh, loggerheads, kind of, you know, them trying to outdo each other. There's a little bit later on, but it seems a bit more relaxed in this episode, I think. Uh, do you remember the weekly lasagna that was discussed last week? Uh, that uh, yes, helped. of course. Do you remember that? So, so is your theory that that is happening? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. She agreed to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I mean, I would agree. They they do seem a lot more relaxed together in this episode. And yeah, is it just is Jenny just unfazed by Alan's ways? Is she is she used to it now? Because yeah, particularly in the back and forth in this section, she's not really taking notice of like the stupid things he's doing. But it might just be is the power struggle over? Is she, is she happy with the show as it is, or more likely does she realise that Alan is no longer a broadcasting threat? Basically, she's realised he's rubbish and it's going to be fine. She owns the show. Uh, but that, yeah, I think the, the stakes are lower as well, aren't they? Now, um, you know, the first few episodes that he didn't know if he was going to get the job. Now it's fairly clear that he's not going anywhere. It feels like their sort of uh, their rivalry is a bit more knockabout and a bit less kind of serious. Yeah. I mean, she literally laughs him off in this scene, doesn't she? She yeah. doesn't give a bollock. Yeah. Um, he applauds the uh, the campaigners for dog justice for using Twitter uh, and says that it's good to see someone using it for something other than making puns or just agreeing with Caitlin Moran, <laughs> which I thought was, was very funny because uh, she is, Caitlin Moran's a, a massive fan of Partridge and obviously, predictably enough, has on Twitter become very excited about this reference as well. Yes. Um, and he says uh, it's time to pull out your credit card and give them some dead dog dosh. Uh, he flashes his card to the camera, which, as we know, will have no repercussions later in the show. Um, <laughs> Absolutely no. fine. To, to be honest, 
I, 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 as soon as he got his credit card out, I saw the gag was coming and also knew the reference. I presume everyone knows this has a, this has a real world equivalent, uh, namely that Jeremy Clarkson challenged some people to hack his account once by publishing some of his banking details in his newspaper column uh, and somebody managed it and donated a sum to charity in his name. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, can I just add something on the Caitlin Moran thing, which I thought was a bit interesting? Because the way Alan mentions that in the script, he seems a bit irked by it, which I think would tally with Alan being a bit more of a right-leaning character. If his take on Twitter is he's always seeing people using Twitter to agree with Caitlin Moran, would that not actually indicate he's in a left-leaning social media bubble? Quite possibly, yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if they've not, the thought. they've not honed the joke to its uh, full political conclusion there. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, unless, I mean, I think it's an easy gag to make because I think she is a big influence within the world of social media that the writers will be looking at. As we've discussed, Alan is kind of in this weird transitional phase between being right-leaning and left-leaning, so I think you can allow a bit of murky ground between mm-hmm. those worlds as well. And finally, he is encouraging everyone to, do, to donate some dead dog dosh. Yes, <laughs> lovely. Lovely turn of phrase from Alan. Um, and Jenny says, uh, coming up on the show is an uh, Alan lookalike. Uh, she says, I'm not sure I could handle two of you. And he says, I'm not sure two of us could handle you, which is pretty much a, a direct update of last week's uh, joke about tickle your pink, tickle you pink, isn't it? Yeah, I think there's there been one line like that in every episode so far where he ends up saying something to Jenny that sounds very much like her sexual connotations, therefore prompting an awkward split second of absolute silence on the sofa. Yes. Um, but then it's time for a live call from a 100-year-old lady. Uh, Jenny says, statistically, there are 14,000 in the UK. Uh, I fact-checked this. There are 14,570. So they have the writers have clearly looked that up for real. Uh, yeah, and Jenny says it's enough to fill the Birmingham Arena. I've also done my re- research and checked on Google the capacity of the Birmingham Arena. Uh, according to Google, it is 15,800, so not quite a sellout crowd. Room no. to spare. Um, I also do, do we have a... Do we know how many toilets there are, though? <laughs> Clearly not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Yeah. Um, I also looked up whether you do still get a telegram from the Queen at 100, because I wasn't sure that this still happens, but uh, do, yes, it you? does. Yes, Not only do you get one at 100, you get a second one at 105, and then presumably, mm. because costs are very low at that point, you get one for every year after 105. Does she have to pay for uh, stamps? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's just a... It's her face, isn't it? She so. could probably just do it. Yeah, just do a sketch of her it own is. face, <laughs> or just take a selfie and just yeah. put that wouldn't work. The Queen definitely anyway, knows how um, to take a selfie. Could, could I do? I, I also did just quickly. I did like how they opened this segment. Now, how many of you out there are one hundred years old? I thought that's a classic one-show handbrake turn, where regardless of what they've been talking about previously, they just start the next segment by saying "now," and you'll notice that happens a few times in the script. As well, uh, so literally going from one place to another, and the t- the change of tone can be huge, and it it's, it literally feels like a handbrake turn in what the the TV show is doing. There's some great one show memes online about that, aren't they? Like, there's loads, there's uh, mm. clips on Twitter and things of them going from talking about like you know the world's oldest fair to uh, genocide or something like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it'll always be some kind of jovial story about a dog that saved a baby, and next it's like someone's got leukemia yeah yep. 
so uh, so it's the uh, it's the hundred year old lady's granddaughter that's written in a letter. Uh, I had a quick scan of the letter. There's nothing particularly, no, nothing it added particularly, but um, it did strike me that this is one of those situations where the old lady is actually not a fan of the show, is she? It's just the granddaughter saying, "I want my gran on telly." Because uh, when she's on the call with Alan, she doesn't seem to act with any sort of interest in the show itself. Yeah, and I think that this this is um, one of many points that I'll be chipping in by saying this is just a scene that for me didn't do anything. I didn't find it particularly funny, didn't really see what it was adding, um, and genuinely didn't think that this you know even raised so much as a smile. But keen to hear what you think, because you're all defending the episode. Well, I, I would agree with you here, Nick, in terms of I think this gag, the, the, whole, the whole setup of this joke, this is a joke that would work if Alan was doing a radio show, because why make it a phone-in character? If this is based around the conceit of something like The One Show, they would send a film crew to to the 100-year-old woman's house, and they would have a live video link-up. They wouldn't just have a phone call like that, because it's a visual medium. So it feels to me like this is something the Gibbons brothers had left over from a mid-morning matters or something, and thought, oh, we can use that in here. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. Also, can I just shock you? This is definitely the weakest section of the episode. I, 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 I agree. Um, there's some good face acting from uh, from Alan. I think I think the reason it's not very strong and why it doesn't quite work to add to Tom's point um, is that I think it takes you. It, it's clearly not an old woman doing the voiceover. I think it would have worked better if they'd actually used an old woman or someone who could do a better impersonation of one. Have you fact checked that? Well I, well, I tried to, but there's literally no credit for. <laughs> Um, for on on uh, on the end credits, but it's clearly not an old woman actually doing it, or it's certainly not a hundred year old woman doing it. And I'm not saying get a hundred year old actress to do it, but <laughs> I think it just takes you out of reality a little bit. Um, and also, it's a bit of an obvious gag. I think you can clearly see where it's going. She's a bit of an old curmudgeon. Oh, she's probably going to say something racist. Yeah, I mean, you can you can see what's going to happen with this a, a mile off, can't you? Um, although I do think it's it's all about the reactions that make it. The way he grimaces and like yeah. grabs her arm, and the way their smiles just drop the moment that she starts saying some slightly troubling words. I even on repeated viewing, that still makes me laugh. Yeah. So I don't think it's wasted, but I do think they could have done it in a way that would have made it sit more naturally within the format of the show. The best bit is the face acting, uh, and I yeah, also, yeah. do also like the fact that Alan burps for a total of 15 seconds. That's nice. Oh, well, yeah, we, <laughs> we, sh- we should probably skip back and discuss the water before we go more into the racist old woman, shouldn't we? Uh, yeah, so obviously Alan uh, takes a gulp of Jenny's water. I think this scene is good for a few reasons in terms of the power play between them. Um, yeah. he, he, he's now shouting, where's my fucking water? If you compare that to the opening <laughs> credits of the first episode where he's sort of meekly begging, that tells you a lot about where he thinks he sits in the, in the, in the, in the status of the show he obviously helps himself to her water and that comes back to bite him uh, literally as he burps his way through the call um, and also I thought Jenny as I mentioned last week I was I was disagreed with but I think she's done it again this week she absolutely leaves him hanging here she doesn't improvise or very yeah. go away from the script to save him even when Rose is shouting hello and he's just burping constantly yeah. I think the burping thing again for me is an example of, of humour that just doesn't work because there's nothing wrong with like uh, the, the burping device has been used before um, in Alan and he's kind of just had like a little small burp and it's been part of a, a wider joke and that's fine. But multiple kind of burps for me was just kind of like lazy writing and sort of almost like toilet humor. And whilst that is funny, I think that Alan doesn't operate with a, a kind of like a toilet humor style of comedy. And it just felt as a result of that for me, 
like lazy writing i didn't find it funny um and, I, and for me it didn't work i i don't entirely disagree with any of that to, to be fair particularly much like with the old woman becoming horrifically racist you can see that it's fizzy water jenny tells him to be careful you know he's going to have some kind of burping attack but i think it serves a purpose in terms of the power play like we spoke about because i thought it was weird that jenny doesn't even seem to be annoyed or riled that he just helps himself to her water so i i am starting to wonder what what is the what is the long play with Jenny here? Because she does also let him hang himself out for out to dry a couple of times in this episode as well. So I think it's I think there's some interesting character developments going on, which bits like this help display. Um, he ends by saying, uh, you know, this was different times, different times. Uh, also, apologies for the wind and the racism. Um, <laughs> I'd, ag- I'd agree with Nick that I think this, is, this episode is off to a slow start, although, spoiler alert, I think that's what makes it so much better as it goes on. It builds up such a head of steam. And I think whilst we've said that the gags in this, this series are, a bit, are often more subtle, I feel like they hit with such regularity in, in the end of the show that it kind of, you're not done laughing at the one that's just happened before another other one comes in yeah I, I think all these episodes have been really densely layered it's you know i think you can break down there are probably about 10 different segments at least per episode so far in this series so that's only two or three minutes per segment before they're moving on and you have completely different setups but i was going to say with this with the with the racist uh woman on the phone uh i thought this is quite an interesting call back to the uh racist olympians from the 1930s in knowing me knowing you as well Oh, yeah. Very similar. Yeah, very similar. Perhaps too similar. Yeah. Um, so we're on to the next segment, which is about American things. Uh, as Alan says, mention our American cousins and most people think weaponry, donuts, racism and brown paper shopping bags without any handles. I mean, that's not what most people think, is it? Um, <laughs> What's all that about? But we do know that Alan has Sorry, a Sorry, Tom, you're having for- a stroke. we do know that alan has a distaste for american things from the tex episode of uh i'm alan partridge Mm. and and various other mentions since um so yeah um it's also a bit strange that they use the word racism twice in two consecutive sentences which felt a bit like these two segments were written separately and then just bolted together yeah i'd agree with that yeah apologies for the wind and the racism most people think weaponry donuts racism it's a bit yeah weird it's a really good point um did, I did like the return of Alan's ge- uh, generic mobster impression that we saw a few <laughs> times in Mid Morning Matters with his "forget about it." It's the same, the same kind of improvised character, isn't it? I did also enjoy how annoyed he was with the fact Jenny just didn't really care for the joke and just said, "Oh, you like? I thought you were having a stroke." He was so pissed off that she um, didn't get it. One thing I like about um, about a lot of the segments that we've seen in the series so far is that aside from all the kind of facial reactions and the sort of obvious gags, if you, at the end of each scene, just look at what the point of the scene was supposed to be in the APU and what actually ended up happening, they're two very different things. And this is a great example. Mm. So he's saying the whole point of this segment is that, you know, people think of, uh, of America in a certain way, weaponry and, and racism and crime and so on. And Jenny's saying, you know, yeah, it's time for a new essay. We're going to take like a different look. And then it turns like the entire segment is about Cleveland police finding four dead men in a septic tank so it's it's not exactly the sort of alternate take on America that they promised at the start is it well they perhaps they were going to talk about more things but obviously they ran out of time due to the uh, the satellite delay they did um there's a very strange section where Alan's working against the sort of polite accepted idea that your mum's home cooking is the best by uh, choosing to explicitly slate his mum's loveless pie making um it's mm. almost like the bit with ice pups where he sort of refuses to let any kind of whimsy get past him ice pups oh, God, <laughs> this again he's woken up 
did, uh, did anyone else have to look up Nanette Newman? No, I was familiar with her work. Doesn't she figure in... Isn't she part of Alan's ideal woman when he listed that? Yes, she is. You're right. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think I probably had to look her up then and obviously I've forgotten because I had to look her up now. Uh, I mean, that was all of three months ago when we yes, covered that. Yes, it was. So, a lot yeah. has happened. Uh, <laughs> uh, if anyone uh, wants any further clarification, I'm happy to give it. She is a BAFTA-nominated BAFTA actress turned cookbook writer. Only film I'd heard of that she'd been in was The Stepford Wives and point of interest for no one else but me. She was born in North Northampton like me and lived for a period in Streatham Hill like me we're very very similar oh you're very much you're the Nanette Newman of this podcast I'm the Nanette Newman of this group um there's a nice uh, a nice a nice gag that we're kind of familiar with from other programs and references uh, like the quiz show Jeopardy uh, where Ruth the delay is basically meaning that Ruth is answering Alan's previous question not his current one uh, which is nice because it means she ends up referring to his fat back as a vision of hell it's um, <laughs> amazing a uh, question to the group do we think that Ruth is even actually in America because she's against the blue, she's against the green screen. We know from the payoff at the end of this scene that there is no time delay, really. So, is she actually in America or no? Well, I think it, uh, whether she is or she isn't, this is kind of an homage to when you see on like um, Good Morning Britain or whatever, where they cut to their like Hollywood uh, correspondent and they've got some naff cut out behind them. I think this is uh, an homage to that. Yeah, I I love that. Uh, obviously, it's a play, like you said, on the Hollywood roving reporter. Good Morning Britain. I think it is literally the same sign that they use in in Good Morning Britain, <laughs> yeah. the Hollywood sign behind it. And I love that because she's in front of the Hollywood sign, so you're expecting like a bit of a light-hearted celebrity story. <laughs> yeah. But no, as Adam says, it's about four dead men that have been murdered in Cleveland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, not that, even in Hollywood. No, that, that's, no nowhere near. That's a, that's a really good point. Normally, they have the Hollywood backdrop because it's like some kind of LA showbiz story. But um, yeah. I I would say in with something like Good Morning Britain as an example, even though they do have LA-based reporters, they do often have them behind a screen, even though they are really in LA. Because I guess with the time difference, it might not look right otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just going to say about the whole the gag about the delayed response to the question before. Was that not a very uh, regular feature in Friend of the Podcast, the Chris Moyle show back in the nineties? Was it called? It was called aqueduct or viaduct or something like that yes, and that was the that whole point of the quiz that it was hu- it was uh, all the questions were uh, plotted out in a very humorous fashion so uh there you go chris that's something else for you to be annoyed about i wouldn't know i've literally never listened or watched him he is dreadful and awful and can get in the sea oh strong words um <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a really nice kind of halfway payoff through this uh, scene as well where it looks like they've got back on track and uh, Ruth says, uh, I should just try and push on and assume you can hear me. No, no, go ahead, Alan. <laughs> and then suddenly you're back to the time delay. It was so nearly fixed. Um, another question to the group, because we've not really discussed it yet. Uh, do you rate Lolly Adafope, um, who plays Ruth? Uh, we've talked about Jenny a lot. We've talked about uh, various other new and returning additions. I think, obviously, she doesn't get a huge amount of screen time, but I think she, she does a great job of being sort of very mean to Alan, but also facially mm. just very ambiguous. Like, she could feasibly be, mm. get away with this. Definitely agree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would probably be the voice that, that disagrees. Like, again, this... this <laughs> I, I like Hang on, much, much like Ruth herself. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely uh, just, right. <laughs> yeah. 
Sorry, do you want to go on? <laughs> <laughs> See, it's Nick, you go ahead. Just, it just it, works. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't think of that. No, it was sorry, that Nick, funny. You go I mean, ahead. now that you're now that you're explaining it to me, it is funny. <laughs> maybe in maybe in the same way that last week when um, the model of the child being smacked uh, once explained to the group actually became funnier no, it didn't. Um, than the scene itself. Uh, but you were in hysterics. No, you want to play it again, mate? You were loving it. <laughs> I, I, I would agree actually and I think um, that's the thing anyway, about I'm all trying, these episodes I'm trying to make a seri- no no Nick you go ahead yeah no Nick you go um, this is a repetition of you know the same joke and clearly we're seeing that throughout the series and it would make sense that that's what they do um, for me again I didn't find this that funny. I think this is one of her weaker scenes. I think her appearances in the previous shows have been much funnier. Um, and again, this is this is the point, I would say, in the show where alarm bells were starting to go off thinking, oh, God, I've not even seen so much as a dog yet, despite the um, <laughs> opening scene. Is this literally your only issue with this episode and That's where your hatred for like it stems from? There are no dogs in it. It's, well, yeah, I felt like it promised <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah. promised so much at the beginning. Um, I want to dive very briefly into Alan's line saying, this is like trying to have a Skype chat with someone in the Philippines. Um, he realises immediately he's given too much of his personal life away. He says, <laughs> yeah. he says, or bloody anywhere in the world. Now, I think there are two ways to read this. One is that it's related to the much-discussed uh, Asian uh, inclinations of Alan sexually. Uh, Tell me about the Lady Boys. Yeah, starting with with Bangkok Chick Boys back in the Travel Tavern, um, and uh, and then quizzing Michael on Lady Boys, um, and potentially related to the sex doll we see later in the episode, which has something of, of a sort of Asian look about it slightly as well. The other theory I had that's perhaps a bit more of a deep dive is that uh, we know that Michael uh, has had uh, some time in Manila. Uh, which is in the Philippines in the past. Mm. So is it possible the person that he's Skyping in the Philippines is actually Michael, presumed dead, but having uh, secret conversations with Alan over Skype? Nice. Have you read Nomad? Oh, no. Yeah, having having read Nomad, I, I think the way Alan writes about Michael, there's no way that Alan is aware that he is potentially alive. Although it's obviously our conjecture that he is potentially alive. But basically, I'm saying no. I'm saying it, it's something sex-wise. Okay. <laughs> Not with Michael. That certainly seems more likely. <laughs> um, can I just remembered something from the uh, the screening event that we went to? Was it? Did Susanna Fielding say that this segment was one of her favourites and the whole recording of the series? Because they definitely talked about the fact that they had a Ruth segment where they played with time delay. I can't remember. Who, somebody on the panel said it was their favourite thing. I can't yeah, that rings a bell. I, yeah, it, I, f- I couldn't remember if it was her, to be honest, or, or somebody else. Or it might have just be, to be honest, it might have just been the Gibbons brothers saying it's something they enjoyed writing. I can't remember, but yeah. Uh, but yeah. I was giddy on an hour of fresh Alan, and therefore the details escaped me. <laughs> exactly. And then this section ends with the plot twist, of course. There is no time delay, and Ruth replies to Jenny completely normally. So, again, See, that Ruth, was... Ruth being an absolute shit to Alan. But that moment is amazing, and again, it's the face acting. You look at the the confusion and the bafflement on Alan's face that all of a sudden they're just talking in real time. Again, Nick, I think you need to watch this. You need to watch this a few more times to get it. You just don't get it. <laughs> this is too high concept for Nick. Yeah. He just doesn't get it. <laughs> oh, I get it. I just think it's not. It's not very funny. Because but. you even see he like he starts looking around the studio in bafflement. Like is there, is anyone else witnessing what I'm witnessing? It's yeah, so it's good. great. It's great. It's great. Um, We've so, all agreed. 
Alan heads over to uh, Simon, uh, but nearly wanders into a cameraman on the way. Uh, now, you can tell from this clip that Simon has uh, undergone some intensive training since the last time we saw him. Um, he's even got, uh, and he's also getting sort of patronising encouragement from Alan as they have a bit of wordplay about chocolate bars. He says to Alan, you're more of a bounty hunter. And then Alan goes, good start. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Can, can, can I just, a uh, quick uh, question to the group. Did anybody count the amount of steps from the sofa to the digital this week? No. I, it's, but it's I think it was between, less. It's yes, between 13 yeah. and 15 normally, isn't it? I'm going to say 11. Seven. It was 12 this week, ah. and I think it's got one step less each week. And I actually think, if you look, it might be the case that they're subtly moving the digital closer to the sofa week by week. Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a level of detail. I yeah. believe probably only we have bothered to look into, and I appreciate that. This is what the people want. This is mm. fine. Um, so Alan says uh, about the digital to, to Simon, uh, you're powerful. It respects that because he wasn't swiping with enough conviction. Uh, conviction is uh, something that's going to come back to help Simon out again later in the episode. Um, and uh, Alan says uh, they're, they're tracking the, uh, the the dog protest people on their way to Downing Street. <laughs> yeah. Alan says this. This is when my interest was peaked again. <laughs> and, uh, the, the whiff of a dog. Um, Alan says it's such a myth that older women are dawdlers. Uh, but although we do later find out that they don't make it to Downing Street on time, so I presume yeah. actually that he's wrong and they are. <laughs> did, did we also all clock that uh, the um, icon is a man that's yeah. tracking the women? <laughs> yeah, Simon says this image of a man represents the women. So yeah. I thought, for fops, please do call us. Please do get in touch. Uh, we need to rectify that balance. Uh, did you also note the video of number 10 is actually just a 360-degree photo that they rotate? Oh, is it? Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, because, you, you know, you can see the cat outside the door. Mm. Obviously, the cat... Larry. The cat is like it's mid mid walk, so it's it's like a yeah, it's like a Google Larry Street Tom. View thing. Yeah, whatever. Tom. So what you're saying is there's a video that's actually a photo, and as we find out later, the tracking device is just the studio ringing the people up and asking them where they are, and <laughs> yes. then moving them a it's little a man on the map. Yes, it's a mockery of a sham, of uh, a sham, so, of a mockery. So they get a text from Neville in Sheffield, who's basically saying, why do you care about uh, police dogs when there are, what's it, he's got some other cause that he thinks people should be paying more attention to, as if you can't support two things at once. Um, yeah, it's it, it says um, uh, why why can people find money for dead dogs but not for child refugees? To which Alan says, "Don't know." Any more texts? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there aren't. But uh, but Simon has a tweet found by Lucy in the office. Lucy, of course, about to become a lot more significant. Um, and this tweet is described as being on a lighter note. And the tweet reads, "Alan, you're at risk of being defrauded because you showed your credit card on TV." Yeah. W- once again, a, a lighter <laughs> note. Um, yeah. Also, there's a th- sorry. There's there's a follow up one that says "lol" at Partridge showing his credit card. Unbelievable scenes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. Uh, and yes, Alan has been rumbled, and his credit card, as we know from a scene later on, is well on its way to being used in 107 fraudulent transactions. Swipe off with conviction. Oh, there's also <laughs> there's also another tweet that I managed to grab that says. At this time show, hey Alan, cheers for sharing your credit card details. Hashtag rinse Alan's credit card. <laughs> Brilliant. Don't know if you guys saw that one. Uh, and a little bit of a, a, a small thing, but a bit of a, a, a an episode highlight is the shh from Alan as the studio <laughs> yeah. comes down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so good. 
Um, it's time for uh, Alan's expose. Uh, we had someone mention this on Twitter, I think, that actually a lot of Alan's program ideas, as pitched to Tony Hares, uh, are being brought to life by Alan himself, because you could argue this next section is like the Cook Report, but with a more slapstick approach. Oh, good spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it. With the squiggle-haired horticulturist. That's right. Uh, (laughs) Complaining about the publicly funded left-leaning broadcaster, the BBC. But what if the BBC was being penetrated through the back door? I love the the way he he opens this segment as well with saying, we all love adverts. I got that. Literally no source for that or any kind of um you know backup as to where that data's coming from. Just again a statement of facts that's left unchallenged. And also the kind of a kind of classic generality that someone like would use in the one show as well. You know, it's that sort of like, well, we all look forward to the weekend, don't we? You know, or like, oh, yeah. you know, everybody dreads everybody <laughs> dreads doing DIY, you know, that sort of thing. I think it's fair to say as well, obviously the joke lies in Alan, uh, Alan's worry about the BBC being penetrated through the back door with product placement, whereas we all know that happened last week with the Dirty Boy. <laughs> yeah, it's Dirt Alan's. Boy. The Dirt it's boy. Dirt Boy. Dirty Boy. Dirt Boy. <laughs> also mentions that the BBC <laughs> is... Dirty, dirty Boy is better. <laughs> exactly. Mentions that the BBC is known to some as Auntie Beeb, but thanks to some presenters, she's known as the kind of auntie that answers the door wearing lipstick and a dressing gown. <laughs> Isn't it just Auntie, not Auntie Beeb? Yeah. Yeah. Or the Beeb or Auntie, yeah. Also, why does he have to be in the countryside for this section? (laughs) This is exactly (laughs) what I was saying. Why does he step through the door and then he's in the countryside? I mean... I don't understand. Presumably only so he can use this extended Julia Bradbury looking at some geese metaphor that he's come up with, but... Uh, yeah, that is ridiculous. Obviously, Julia Bradbury's come up before. Uh, we know he fancies her. He named her as his ultimate pie filling in Mid Morning Matters. Uh, so, of course, she's his go-to for any sort of uh, any metaphors. Uh, did you? Go- I I think as well the outfit he's got uh, at this outdoors bit is that the same outfit when he's in the out in the woods in the credit sequence. Have they done it on the same day? Is that what you're saying? They've done yeah, it all on the prob- same day. Probably. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think it's exactly like he's trying to. In, in eff- effectively, from Nomad onwards, he wants to become the male equivalent of Julia Bradbury. So he's always trying to do these kind of outdoorsy type segments. But what I did really enjoy, uh, you know, he then references the Orion Super Compact spotting scope. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah. That is real, and it retails for £105.99, pence, free postage. So what's happened there? Unbelievable. I mean, clearly the, product placement. Clearly this is the joke, yeah. It, it, yeah. In, in the course of warning people about the evils of product placement, he's done it again. Uh, uh, <laughs> as he says, you do the maths. Um, Which is a peep show joke. Yes, yes. I, remember, I, I did remember hearing that before. Yeah, I, Actually, I, I, I thought it was very weird for them to recycle something that's been shown on peep show. If we're thinking that this is the equivalent of the one show broadcasting at seven o'clock, that would have been watched by, according to the overnights from yesterday, three point three million people. So you do the math. S- S- um, Round it up to four, and I we're think, good to go. I think my my favourite bit before he uh, before he tries to pounce on Monty Don later on is uh, that he's <laughs> obviously he's doing this segment film next to a lake in front of a sign that says "Warning of thin ice," and then he says, "Of course, if she did product placement, she'd be on very shaky ground." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really enjoyed that. Yeah, so good. I also enjoyed when he's making out that there are lots of rumours about Monty Don taking uh, bungs and bribes. He says oh, to, to wield. Yeah, many of his peers, not just me, I'm sure, would think that. 
Yeah, think he's taking cash bungs to wield or wear their products on air. Um, you notice as well, just before he talks about how he's going to expose Monty Don, he jumps up on a tree stump and you hear his knees crunch again like they did last week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, very and good. a lovely bit of wordplay he's obviously very pleased with. He may be green-fingered, but I'm going to catch him red-handed. And then we're over <laughs> to uh, Selsden Estate. Did, did anyone check if this is a genuine hotel? Uh, yes, it looked to me like there's a hotel in South Croydon that has the same name, but I don't think it's the hotel that was pictured. Uh, do you want me to go through the Pear Tree Production pitch document for Power Plant with Monty Don? Yes, please. Uh, one thing I noticed at the top of the, uh, the the pitch document, Alan is pitching this as 24 60-minute rock slash gardening <laughs> bachelor hybrid programs. I saw that too. So, like, I mean, we know, we know this is a fictitious pitch, but that is extremely ambitious. Um, I also appreciate that this is a really great way to get Alan's pitches back onto the, uh, into the episode. Mm. Uh, yeah. yeah under the guise of him having to make it up for Monty Don. So, Tom, talk us through it. Yeah, yeah. The headline is, The best of Top Gear meets the very best of Gardener's World. Um, Power Plant is a gardening programme with attitude, a show that raises a middle finger to the squares and says, F off to the anoraks. The only anoraks you'll find in this show are leather bomber jackets with Death Leopard on the back. Obviously, not anoraks. Not anoraks in that case. Um, it's a show that puts the rock into rockery and the metal into metal trowel. An assault, <laughs> an assault on the senses that definitely spits on the regrettable titch marshification of horticultural TV. Amazing. Uh, and then the last bit. So what exactly is Power Plant? In short, it's a programme that combines gardening with rock music plus another ingredient of your choosing. Perhaps military history or rugby league. <laughs> <laughs> Set to a pounding soundtrack of classic rock, the programme will showcase the snarling face of modern day gardening. It's nature red in tooth and claw, plants as wild as the thumping rock tracks that play as the plants themselves appear on screen. There we now, go. There's a few things in there I'd like to touch on. One is that he describes it as the best of Top Gear meets the very best of Gardener's World. It's the implication there that Top Gear is always solid, whereas for Gardener's World, you have to pick the very best bits because most of <laughs> yeah, it's rubbish. Yeah, I think that's a correct interpretation. Yeah. Um, also, uh, if you see it, they, he's used emojis on either side of uh, the, the headline. Uh, but the main thing for me is that the screen, the screen grab, you can tell from the sort of red underlining of words like titch marshification, that what they've done is just taken a picture picture of a screen grab of it off the screen before he's done yeah. spell check they haven't printed this out as a document and then put that on the screen it's obviously <laughs> still a work in progress it, it's probably worth putting the screen grab of this on our socials for people that haven't seen it but i, I love the fact that the writers are kind of played around with this they know that in the age of everyone streaming television that you can pause and get an exactly crystal clear image so people can screen grab it to get all the detail because there are a lot of gags in there that if you're just watching passively that, that you're going to miss all of them, aren't you? So yeah. that's that's a good bit of extra writing. A lot, lot of fun. Uh, so he set up a sting uh, starting off in a hotel room. I mean, it's never really explained why Monty Don has to go to the hotel room, given that he's given a glass of wine and then they immediately go back downstairs. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think so, it's I think for coffee. That's, yeah. I, yeah, that's I think just it, Alan guessing it wrong, isn't it? That's, well, I think, he doesn't I think, know what to do. I think basically he's using, he's using a lot of uh, kind of old like 90s and 80s Bond and espionage films to give him an idea of what to do. That's why he's gone for a briefcase cam. He's doing it in a hotel suite and he's brought along a woman, and I quote, just to complete the picture, <laughs> although yeah, that woman is obviously Lynn. And I was thinking, he's in danger of pimping her out again like he did uh, in I'm Adam Partridge series 2 to the uh, the dying director general or commissioning I, editor I, sorry Chris Feather <laughs> yeah 
I, well, I've, I've got something on that in a minute. But um, yeah, I love the fact that you'd get the reveal that it's Lynn uh, a split second after he's, he's just said an unspecified woman. But uh, yeah, I also enjoyed... Did you guys spot the briefcase where he's got a hidden camera is stood up on the bed? So that's why when Monty Don sits down on the bed, the camera falls, <laughs> yeah. falls sideways. And obviously uh, Lynn and Alan have hidden cameras in their brooches. Um, so no tooth brooch this week either, second week in a row. And I have a theory about that to discuss later i did like that alan tells lynn to unscrunch her face twice before monty arrives into the room <laughs> yeah and then once yeah. monty's arrived gets gets lynn to uh, pour them both a glass of wine lynn, lynn says to alan are you sure because she's obviously seen him have a glass of wine and go off the deep end before um and then immediately the cost, i thought yeah it, 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 oh yeah that's true it, yeah. It, immediately they pour their glasses of wine monty don's been in the room less than 45 seconds and alan's back off to the toilet <laughs> <laughs> he, he basically and he's has to on the toilet as well. Yeah. yeah, he has to go into the toilet essentially just to say what I'm doing is very dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then they head downstairs, don't they? Um, where Lynn is infusing, saying, "People who watch you on television, Monty Don, they feel like they're in the garden with you." I like that she uses his surname. It's very yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think because um, Alan's saying she's starstruck, I think she definitely is in this instance. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't. The only I, I didn't particularly enjoy this scene. Although the only thing what? I did enjoy was that he's known on allot- allotments as the Don. But that may be because his name is Don. <laughs> we also discover uh, Lynn doesn't have a garden, which puts paid to my theory that she might be living in Alan's garden. Uh, she's only got a couple of hanging baskets and a window box. Sounds a bit rude. <laughs> um, well, they, what's they, rude about a window box? <laughs> I also enjoy uh, Alan's re- reference to uh, a fat envelope. So in this episode, we've had fat envelope oh, yeah. and we've had fat back as well. So a couple of sort of old school partridgeisms coming back into the new series. And I think there's one well, more as well. Well, I, I, I thought the way that Lynn goes to um, goes to put her arms across her chest, because Alan then says uh, to not cover your brooch, I thought that was a bit like, don't crush them, Lynn. With yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very much so. Um, his attempts to snare Monty Don are brilliant by basically just repeating <laughs> I'm pretty flush and I don't mean my BBC salary you know he's kind of like mm, opens a few doors you know what I mean like that um, did you also notice that his and Lynn's brooches are absolutely massive because yeah. they've yes. obviously, they're obviously concealing not even like state of the art tech but probably like no. a, an old camera from the, the 90s it's like a camcorder under his armpit or something yeah it's ridiculous um, there's a good line that's almost missed here because he's doing a voiceover but um, he's when he's ordering from the menu he says uh oh yeah there's surf can i have more turf turf and turf <laughs> yeah <laughs> basically can i have a plate of prawns <laughs> no that'll be uh, a plate well, of surf no. and surf oh yeah i've got that the wrong way around <laughs> can we edit that out so i don't sound like no, a no, tate yes, keep, it in. keep that in keep that in keep that in uh, and did you guys also throughout this scene did you guys spot there's a couple that are sitting behind the side that monty don and lynn are on and it was only on my second watch i realized Throughout most of this scene, that couple are furiously making out. Yes, uh, I, I've got an extreme theory here. Um, oh, uh, uh, this this may come to nothing, but I do like to. You know, this is this I've, is. Th- can I just say I've got a theory on this too? I wonder if it's going to be the same. Go, I, go bet, ahead. I bet it is. I bet it is. This is on a par with my uh, Ted is Michael's brother theory. I think that couple are having an affair. And I mm-hmm. think that there is going to be some sort of case or lawsuit or issue brought against Alan for the fact that he has exposed the affair by secretly filming. Yes, that's exactly what I'm hoping for. Yeah, they're too prominent to be ignored, I think. 
Yeah, when I when I I, I noticed first time that they were they were necking, and um, <laughs> I went back when I watched it the second time and kept an eye on them in the background to see if there was anything that that happened to sort of give away anything or any indication that it might be a future plot point. There isn't anything. It's literally they're just talking and then all of a sudden they're they're, they're getting off with each other. So there's no sort of clues or anything like that. It's just that one bit. So I kind of think maybe it is just a bit of a throwaway thing. I'm not sure there is anything to it. I mean, I think this is partly because we're now stuck in this odd mode where we're hyper analyzing a half hour show yes. week and week by week <laughs> and probably looking for a lot more than is there i think the other side of the coin is it's just a bit of fun and it's a fun extra visual gag that again you don't necessarily notice the first time you watch it so it could yeah. also be that <laughs> it could be yeah. <laughs> what, you're suggesting that by talking about a half an hour tv show for 90 minutes we're over analyzing it <laughs> be real possibly only possibly Anyway, never mind peanuts. How about pound nuts? <laughs> and forget cashew nuts. How about cash nuts? I mean, he's really grasping now, isn't he? Um, yeah. But, I mean, to some extent, he does get Monty Don to agree that he would do product placement for a billion pounds. <laughs> to which Alan, to which well, Alan says, yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> I thought this is where the, the scene loses it because I don't think it was as bad as um, like the um, old lady section earlier or the um, you know American correspondence scene. But I did think this is where it started to fall apart a little bit. It became so absurd. And yes, okay, that's the joke. But I thought the whole like this is your life thing and then him running away. I just didn't think the writing was that smart or that clever. And I think because the standard uh, that the Gibbons sort of put out is so high, when it's not great, it really stands out. And I think that the payoff to this scene felt a little bit weak. I think much like a lot of these sections, they do go on a little bit long in places and there could be little bits that be could be cut. I actually disagree with this bit. I think it ends quite strongly. I find it quite funny. The bit where he runs towards the car, I've suddenly realised I've got a dentist appointment and then he's just shouting out of the car window, can you pay for dinner? Pay for dinner, yeah? Pay for dinner. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and pretending to use a menu for the This Is Your Life book and panicking and calling him Dante. <laughs> Come on, that, that was great. Yeah. And also, you do spot Lynn starts coming out of the hotel yes. and does a 180 and goes back in as well. Yeah. And let's not forget that This Is Your Life hasn't been on TV since 2007. <laughs> 12 years ago um yeah it is it just says menu on it as well that is it it is silly i don't know i mean i'm in two minds about this on on the one hand it did make me laugh so it's it's worked but it is kind of it is reminiscent of of him running away from jed in uh, i'm alan partridge series two it's reminiscent of a lot of more slapstick manic moments that actually the current writers and team have said they're not such a fan of which makes me wonder how it's made it in there but it was fun but I think, I mean, this is a wider discussion, perhaps at the end of the series, but I think the whole thing about this time, this series as a whole is treading that line between the subtle moments that we we particularly got used to in the APU over the last couple of years and series is, and the more slapstick moments, which have always been present in Partridge as well. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more to discuss around that, but I think they're trying to just tread a line between the two worlds really do you think they're having to throw in more slapstick because as alan said in the previous episodes bbc one viewers find extra clarity useful adam you took the words right out of my mouth yes there we go um so back in the studio alan has a dossier that he will present be presented to the dg of the bbc by me uh i presume everyone took a note of its original title and what it's now called 
uh, originally a different kind of abuse at the BBC, brackets, <laughs> not sexual, uh, but it's now called A Common Future Moving Forward Together. And did anyone look closer at the dossier to see what was written at the bottom of it? Did anyone else spot that? No, give us the detail. Right. If you if you zoom in, uh, it, it's not 100% clear, but this is, I, I just want to say, this isn't my spot. I'm going to credit this to at Zurich Pub Quiz on Twitter, who sent in, uh, it's a little bit low res because you have to zoom in, but it reads at the bottom, designed by Pear Tree Infographics. <laughs> because, <laughs> Amazing. A brand because new of, arm of Pear Tree that we weren't familiar with. Because of course oh, you no. would... They were Pear Tree Infographics, didn't they do the, all the uh, the driving maps in Places of My Life? Did they? Brilliant. Oh, yes, they did. <laughs> yeah. um, and also, of course, you'd want a credit on a plastic comb-bound <laughs> file where everything's <laughs> written in plain Times New Roman. I, I also had I had one just small note. I, I was quite surprised that in the script here, he didn't say, because uh, what's the line sent about? So the DG of the BBC compiled by me. Mm. I was expecting the flow of that to go compiled by me, AGP. AP. Yeah, that yeah. would have made sense. Um, I thought that the changing of the title as well was a nice dig at sort of BBC spin and PR and the kind of yeah. W1A speak that it's yeah. sometimes known for. That yeah, the, the, the real, his original title was pretty more accurate, but uh, he'd had to sort of uh, brush it up <laughs> yeah. for the BBC. Um, so then he cuts to the kitchen where he claims Jenny's getting squiffy on cocktails um, I wondered if that was a bit of a dig that she is sort of looking after the lightweight items while he's on the hard hitting investigations he's trying to sort of yeah. belittle her contribution a bit I like that that's good yeah. uh, and then Lynn's in with some bombshell news about the state of his uh, credit card <laughs> Did you note down how many transactions had been made? I did. I, I, I said 107 earlier in, in our episode and I was wrong it's 110 isn't it? Yes yeah um, but uh, yeah, the real problem is that, uh, well, actually, this is something of a callback to two different ideas. Uh, one is the idea that Bangkok Chick Boys was on Alan's tab at the Travel Tavern. So, uh, and the other is a play on, on embarrassing info and who Alan's okay with it being discussed in front of. So, for example, uh, here, he's, he's not happy about Lynn talking about the fact he's bought corsets in front of the uh, makeup lady. <laughs> yeah. um, but but it's kind of, uh, it's kind of in, in opposition to the point where she brought his fungal foot powder to uh, Valentine's Day at the Travel Tavern in front of Jill, and we thought he'd be embarrassed, and he just said, oh, good, she remembered. <laughs> yeah, very good point, very good point. I was just going to say quickly as well, to go back to this credit card being on display thing, do you remember there's a really early comic relief thing where he showed Carol's credit card details? Oh, I think yes. like comic relief yeah. 97. Um, I mean, yeah, the actual showing of the card was earlier, but I meant to say that I meant to say that earlier, basically it also brought to mind that section. That does ring a bell. Paul Lynn is um, uh, accused of potentially um, making the purchase. I did enjoy that Alan once again fumbled um, someone's name when instead of uh, referencing Rosemary and Time, the detective series that Lynn watches, he called it Egg and Onion, which, by the way, <laughs> I would absolutely watch. This might After be a stupid I'd question. Pops, I'd switch over to ITV and watch Egg and Onion. This quite a stupid question. Is Rosemary and Time a real thing? Yes, it is. Or is, yeah. it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but, but, I, egg and, but egg and onion isn't no, crucially. No, no. But, crucially, would watch. Would watch. Yeah. <laughs> Commissioned. I also like that he's uh, he's yeah. happy to discuss his corsets with Lynn, but not in front of the makeup lady because, and I quote, their tongues wag more than a happy dog's tail. Um, See, Nick? Dog mention? Yeah, it's, like another, it's another tease. Again, another tease. <laughs> but at this point, no dog content to be seen. Um, did you notice that when he says that Lynn would be a person of interest, she took that as a compliment? <laughs> She's like, <"Ooh."> yes. <laughs> you see her smile in one camera shot. So then he says, as opposed to a person who's interesting. And yeah. then the f- smile falls from her face. Felt a bit sorry for Lynn there. Yeah. Yeah. Poor old Lynn. 
Um, we also, especially when you discover in the next bit that uh, Alan slips an iPhone in her pocket when she takes an <laughs> af- when she when she takes the afternoon off to go to a chiropody appointment, he puts an iPhone in her pocket so he can track her and find out that she's actually gone to Debenhams. But um, yeah. crucially, he does say that she's taken the afternoon off for the appointment, so surely it's none of his business anyway. Yeah, I mean that's the point. Woe betide if someone indulges in a little bit of shopping after going to a uh, an appointment. Probably needs, it probably needs to be flexi shopping, knowing uh, Alan's employment rules. Yeah, it's also going to be window shopping as well because with nine grand a year, I mean, let's face it, <laughs> Debenhams is going to be well out. Yeah, it's well out your price range. <laughs> I'd love to know what Lynn's salary is right now. <laughs> Woeful. Uh, Simon's checking on the dog people, but obviously we know instead of having a GPS, they're just ringing them up and saying, where are you? And then changing the position on the map. Um, And Alan uh, notices Simon's repeated mentions of Lucy, uh, something we picked up in a previous episode. Uh, And so we're into the section where... Uh, where Alan's sort of nudging young love to take form, Mm. but also letting slip on live TV that Simon still lives with his (laughs) mum. Yep. It's it's a kind of... I was a bit conflicted about this because... It's quite cringy, but also Alan is actually trying to do the right thing by Simon in a way. Is he? It's just a f- well, yeah, in a way, I think he is. I think like he does actually, he is actually trying to look, look out for him. But obviously the way to do that is not on a live television show in front of an audience of millions. I think, I think the thing at the end where he's like, oh, one down in the pub quiz, I'll never see him. And then Lucy look after him. Um... I think, yeah, but I th- only think he does that because his original plan to embarrass him has back f- backfired. Uh, well, I guess there is a point when she, he does say, you don't have to say yes just because you're on live television. So maybe you're right. He's yeah. not expecting it to go the way that it did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Question, question to the group. Would Simon have asked Lucy out of his own volition if this hadn't happened? No. No. Okay, well then he's done him a favour, whether he meant to or not. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I like the bit where uh, Simon tries to drag things back to the uh, the tweet wall, and then Alan just goes, "Never mind your tweets." Like that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> is it time to talk CPR? Uh, yes, it is. Bang, bang. <laughs> the sound of a heart expiring. Very realistic. Um, fun, fun that uh, Jenny says. You know, what, we don't know what we would do if that happened now to me or to Alan. And then Alan says, or to the show's producer who does get very stressed. And I'm thinking, yeah, only because of you. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, this is a section talking about you know people dying of heart attacks. Is this a touch insensitive? Two weeks after John Baskell died of a heart attack. <laughs> yes, yes, but about 15 shows have passed since then, so they've moved on. That's true. Um, Alan says that it's important to brush up on his CPR and then he makes it a monthly thing did you note the two other things he suggested that he does monthly like asking your cleaner about her chemo yes that's one or checking your smoke (laughs) alarm and actually the thing about the cleaner uh, we had a tweet from Ian Brown and he just wrote holy shit Sonia has cancer because obviously towards the end of I Partridge Alan and Sonia have split up but Sonia is his cleaner at that point but is that how the book ends I wasn't sure whether he's actually is he right well, luckily, I've got my copy of I, Partridge, We Need to Talk About Alan to Hand. Uh, Carries it everywhere. Yep. <laughs> uh, and this is how the particular uh, section talking about Sonia ends. And Sonia? Well, she and I are still very close in the sense that she's now my cleaner. I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. That's how it's left. So we are to assume so... that perhaps Sonia is still Alan's cleaner. So maybe Sonia does have cancer. 
Hmm. I don't think that I don't they think would that's have written it. that. No. no, I think that's yeah. I mean, disappointing that they didn't put two and two together. If indeed you know that's the case, but I don't think they would be suggesting Sonia has cancer. It's an unnecessarily dark storyline. Yeah. And without, also, without any context. Also, as a disclaimer, it's been a while since I've read Nomad. I can't remember whether there's any further mention of Sonia in that book either. So I think Ian's probably read a bit too much into it there, but that's what we're here for. That's um, fine. Also, that is a long time has passed since I partridge and now. I doubt she's been his, his cleaner for that length of time. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to hang on to a cleaner for more than about three months. It's very, <laughs> it's, it can, can be quite difficult to do. Also, uh, we know that the Denton Abbey he's in now is not the Denton Abbey we saw in Scissor Isle. So he has moved at least once and therefore potentially not taken Sonia with him, even if she was well, his cleaner then. Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's more to discuss on that in when we do our next feedback episode because I think there's a discussion about whether they are or aren't the same house. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. Uh, so we're back at Denton Abbey now. I noticed that he takes his steps two at a time, probably because he's being filmed. Um, and, uh, and also that he worked on a video called So You Want to Work for Halfords. Uh, I just like the beginning of this where it shows Alan starting to climb the stairs and then the next cut is him again walking towards the stairs and to start climbing the same set of stairs. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's good uh, pear tree production values, isn't it? It d- doesn't really flow, doesn't really work. Yeah, he climbs four sets of stairs to get to the loft. Um, and uh, <laughs> it, we learned that the most notable thing about his video, So You Want to Work for Halfords, is that while he was filming it, a chap swallowed his tongue and they all had to go home. Um I did a quick bit of um, tinternet research to see if it's like I was a bit perplexed by the term swallowing your tongue um, to see if it was actually something that you could do. And according to a popular internet search engine, it's virtually impossible. Um, and even during a seizure, you will not be able to swallow your tongue. I seem to remember uh, it happens maybe once every sort of five years to footballers. There's normally sort of a clash of heads or, or an injury where... Um, players can actually swallow their tongue and a physio has to fish it out fish it back into their mouth it does happen well the words of a popular internet search engine swallowing your tongue is virtually impossible Vir- in the virtually, human mouth Wait, virtually is that duck duck guff doesn't it go, it's not a proper internet <laughs> search engine mate you should use google <laughs> google it <laughs> search it <laughs> Bing it generic search engine yeah. it so uh, so alan's gone into the roof to grab his 35 kilogram replica from pete gabatas uh, let's talk a little bit about pete shall we he's a, a regular feature in the apu so for anyone not familiar um, with Pete Gabatas, he's mentioned quite a lot in iPartridge, um, the the uh, autobiography. Um, and I'll just do a little bit of setup now for how Alan introduces Pete Gabatas in the book. I'm often asked if I have a manager or an agent, and instead of answering with words, I used to take out a £10 note, tear a quarter off it, and then scrunch that bit up and throw it in the bin. Never had one. Waste of money. And if my career has proven beyond doubt, I've never needed one. I mean, that's obviously a lie. But if anyone came close <laughs> to filling the role of agent slash manager, it would have been Pete Gabitas, the MD of Blue Barn Media. So there you go. That's a little intro about um, about Pete. Now, something I didn't sorry, something I didn't notice when we covered iPartridge. Have you seen that <laughs> Alan's illustration to people of why a manager is a waste of money is literally to render a ten pound note <laughs> unusable? <laughs> <laughs> very good now obviously the joke here is that this is a sex doll and that he's got it off of pete gabitas now um <laughs> pete gabitas does not have exactly the uh he has quite the checkered past shall we say when it comes to things in that area i'll just read another section from uh from ipartridge 
Within reason, I loved every minute of my time with Sonia. She was introduced to me by Pete Gabitas, MD of Blue Barn Media, sadly no longer with us. Pete had been a confidant, a friend and a lender of production facilities for over a decade. Pete had a stunning Ukrainian girlfriend, a decade his junior, and arranged similar girlfriends for six or seven of us. Mine was probably the second best. (laughs) Uh, Crucially, we should also mention that uh, this doll solves the... uh, Solves the mystery of what the figure that we could see in the window in last week's episode and also in Scissor Isle, making this uh, the payoff to a gag that spanned two channels and three years. Does it? I'm not sure I'm, it does. I'm still not convinced. Yeah, I'm not Hang either. On. He gets the, right, he gets the doll down from the attic, and I'd, I'd be interested to look back whether even the amount of flights of stairs he covers tally up with the amount of floors we've seen the house in the exterior. <laughs> but I, I don't think the face you've seen in the window looks like the face of the doll. I just think you've, Whether got, it's in you've, the attic got, or not. you've got a motionless face in a window and then the week later he's, bring, he's bringing a life-size mannequin down from the attic. It's the same, come on. But I don't know, it doesn't I don't know why it would be in Scissor Dial. Yeah. I, well, I feel know, like... They didn't know I they were like, going to be making this time at that point, surely. I feel like, I feel like Pete Gabatas <laughs> bought it for Alan. Alan's been doing what a gentleman does with a sex doll. <laughs> or not a gentleman, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah. me, Meanwhile, when he's not when he's not busy with the sex doll doing sex stuff, I think he's using it as, like you said last week, as a makeshift scarecrow by putting it in the window of his home to frighten <laughs> off intruders. Therefore, getting maximum value for money from Pete Gabatas's investment. That's my theory. <laughs> uh, Do we need to cast aspersions on Pete Gabatas's character as well? So he's provided sex dolls. He's provided mail order brides. I'm, I'm not sure this is the type of guy that Alan should have been hanging around with. I think we've already done that. I think we've already established that. Yeah. <laughs> from I think from my it, partridge, he sorts out Ukrainian <laughs> girlfriends for his mates. I know. If anyone's I'm got anything saying, to say in Pete, good. I think go for the inverse. If anyone's got anything to say in Pete Gabatas's defence, then now's the time. <laughs> Otherwise, we <laughs> just write him off as an absolute shit. Um, there's lots of hints throughout this scene that Alan does use the sex doll as a sex doll and has just changed a few details for the purposes of this VT. Uh, he uses phrases such as "Each week I invent a different scenario." Come on, Eileen, lugging the unit. And crucially at the end, don't forget to clean the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, can, shall I just go through background watch for this room quickly? Oh, yes, nice. To see uh, what details it gives us of uh, AGP. Yep. Um, so uh, I, it was quite hard to make out a lot of the detail. So obviously you've got whole bookshelves and things, but they're quite far away from the camera. Uh, there are definitely some history books. There's definitely an idiot's guide book to something, but I couldn't make out what it was. There's a Roman helmet by the fireplace. Uh, <laughs> I was quite disappointed there wasn't a fan of swords, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, also some other sports trophies, which also look like they could be squash trophies. Uh, those are the main details I could pick out, but uh, lots of books, lots of CDs. So Alan, definitely a fan of physical media there great work uh, i love that this scenario his his love of a scenario uh, requires him to pour the pills that this sex store supposedly overdosed on onto <laughs> yeah. the floor just for believability um uh, my next my next note is nipples so very visible <laughs> um also a little bit of uh, a little bit of qualification intel here um i am life-saving trained to a degree and all of his cpr tips are legitimate yeah, uh, the I way, he, those out the as way well. he goes about it, it is it, that is how you do it. I genuinely thought that shouting at the person you found unconscious was not <laughs> going to be one of the things and shaking them, but apparently it is. What it if actually they had a is. Neck? 
just be gentle. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful. Um, is I feel like I've heard that Bee Gees thing before as well. Is that true? Also, that yes, was in that is. That is legitimate. Um, yeah. But also, um, obviously, they they say you know do heart compressions to the rhythm of staying alive he's chosen another one bites the dust which i thought was really great um partially as he explains because it provides an important dose of realism um but also i noted that um the uh, the bpm of staying alive is 103 beats per minute the bpm of another one bites the dust is 110 so he's actually pumping that heart a bit a bit too fast <laughs> um i think there's <laughs> i'm really glad you researched that um there was one thing to add to this scene as well. The uh, fictional scenario that the doll is in includes uh, includes his brother. And obviously we know Alan doesn't have a brother. So he's created a scenario to the point there's a whole cast of characters that aren't real. I think whether he's doing, yeah, I, whether he's doing CPR or whether he's using that sex doll for other purposes, I'm sure there is an elaborate uh, fantasy scenario dreamed up for every use. Hmm. I did enjoy that, um, bear in mind the scenario is fictitious, his brother is fictitious, but the scenario he's created is that even his brother's wedding, uh, his brother's marriage has fallen apart because she yes. hates him. Yep. <laughs> uh, really good. It could have been anything. <laughs> In general, I'm a big fan of this section. I love the bit when he's shaking the doll, shouting, come on Eileen, and the tits are just going everywhere. Um, <laughs> and the legs as well. And the, the legs. legs and uh, the fact that he's quite cheerfully miming along to another one bites the dust as singing along <laughs> as he's doing the chest compressions. Yeah, yeah. So good. There's a, cu- there's a cutaway shot of the doll's face at one point as well when he's doing compressions, which is absolutely ridiculous. It's flying all over the place. Oh, I was laughing a lot during See, this. Nick, look how much we're enjoying this. We're just laughing thinking about it. No, it's like the child's mannequin scene. Once explained <laughs> over elaborately uh, detailed, it becomes funnier. But this was but immediately funnier. I liked that it, uh, it your, your deep dive on the child smacking bit was talking about the angles and the purchase that he would get on the naked child's bum. My deep dive analysis were the tits were going everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so much so you sent them to me on Instagram <laughs> I sent them to all of you <laughs> I was say, yeah I got that too highbrow discussion from Monkey Tim they cut back to the studio where, uh, where they're talking about hearts and the various hearts animals have and he, he claims that Carol his ex-wife has no heart and then interrupts Jenny just to say a really nasty woman <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely love that bit. Um, and now we're on to the final scene of the episode, which I think, prob- I hope we can all agree whether we like the episode and are correct or whether we didn't like the episode and are wrong uh, <laughs> is, is the best bit. So even though I didn't um, enjoy the scene, the, the two points that I really did enjoy is that he suggests Sorry. you do about an hour of practice uh, on the doll, by which point I think that person, it's fair to say, has con- is going to be long dead. And then he says it's time to relax with a book and a hot drink, yet he's reading a newspaper uh, instead of a book. So... Yeah, I did. I did enjoy that. I mean, I, I feel like this is this is testament to how good this episode is. Is that we started off? We started off with basically Nick reading a prepared statement about how much he hates the whole thing and how he's not going to enjoy it at all. We're about an hour in. We're literally losing our minds now. That's how. That's how well this episode builds. Because I can see Stan absolutely losing his shit on Skype as well. This is he too has, good. He does it for an hour. <laughs> 
Um, so now we're on to the final scene of the episode and I think whether you uh, w- w- whether you're like Nick think this is a terrible episode and are incorrect or whether you're like the rest of us and think it's brilliant I think I hope we can all agree this is the highlight of this week's oh, episode uh, absolutely ce- celebrity lookalikes or in, in German zwei doppelgänger Adam can I just shock you I did not like this scene on first watch but second watch I absolutely loved it is it the so, boss eyes interesting imagine how good it will be on third watch like I have yeah. Oh. Once you lock in on Martin's boss eyes in this, yeah. in this scene, the doubles in mirth. I think, to be honest, I felt a bit disappointed with it on first viewing because I'd heard people, including friend of the show Boyd Hilton, saying how it was one of his favourite partridge moments of all time. He did, yeah. So I had such high expectation, it wasn't quite what I expected to be, but on second and third viewings, don't worry, I did watch it three times, uh, I think it was great. Quite a few people have said that this is uh, on Twitter. I mean, we'll get back to the, we'll get it to it on the feedback episode. But have said this is some of the best partridge they've ever seen. This section, I do think it's very good. Oh. I don't I don't know if it's the best partridge I've ever seen, but I think it certainly benefits from the kind of build up of good scenes that that lead us up to it as well. Yeah, I'd agree. Alan looks visibly uncomfortable at the idea of Martin Brennan being his lookalike, doesn't he? He's he's not happy. Yeah. He's not happy about this. Um, to be fair, I could give him that one. The guy basically looks like Wurzel Gummidge with a wonk eye. <laughs> <laughs> Just a quick question to the group. One, do we think that's a real Daniel Craig lookalike? And two, do you think he's actually any good? He looks nothing like him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can't that, be a real yeah, lookalike. That is great. <laughs> I did enjoy that, that he looks absolutely nothing like him. Uh, yeah, apparently looks enough like him to have been in Quantum of Solace. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jenny, Jenny obviously asked for Daniel Craig's phone number and Alan chips in saying happily married. Uh, second, <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that. The second reference to the troubled state of Jenny's marriage in this series. Um, did you notice uh, Alan talking about uh, how he chose to spend his honeymoon? Yes, as an extra, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Yep. And did you notice the referencing of Barabbas? Which yes. uh, So Barabbas was also uh, mentioned in Middlemore Matters Series 2 as another Easter baddie. And we've had a few tweets over the last couple of days as well, pointing out that um, there is a link between this and 24-Hour Party People as well. So there's a scene where... So Steve Coogan played Tony Wilson in 24-Hour Party People. There's a scene when they're in a car talking about uh, bad band names. And one of those names, examples, is Barabbas as well. Ah, Quite amazing. Interesting. Interesting uh, link, yeah. Um, so uh, Martin is a farmer in the west of Ireland. Uh, he's not even really an impersonator, it turns out. He just came on because a cousin told him that they looked alike uh, like a week ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, that's it. How, how long have you been an uh, impersonator for? A week Thursday. <laughs> Yeah, um, and he, he's, he's obviously been told to say, aha, I guess I guess when he was told that Alan used to be on the telly a long time ago, they've looked up some old clips on the computer, as Martin puts it, um, and then uh, Alan has to correct him saying, it's aha, there's no H, and he goes, did I, did, I put in, did I put in an H, a H, and he goes, you did put in an H, uh, and he's correcting him all the way through. Um, I thought it was quite, it was well, I mean, it's obviously a bit of a caricature, uh, Martin, but mm. quite a recognisable type, sort of king of his own kingdom, knows everyone down the pub, handy with illegal tortoises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that type. Um, there's quite a few fecks in this section, and I believe, Adam, for anyone new to the podcast, Adam, you did a bit of research on whether feck was a swear word, I believe. 
I did, and I can't remember the result. Although I've got an, <laughs> brilliant. I've got an, I've got an inkling that it doesn't count as a, yeah, as a swear word a swear in the word. same I, way. That as would fuck. make sense because the amount of times they use "feck" in Father Ted on mm. Channel Four when that used to be on at nine or nine thirty, if it counted as a proper fuck, I think it'd probably be like post ten p.m. or something like that. Yep, I believe there would that's be a limit right. to how many they could use. So, did anyone notice the H and H, which was also in um, Alpha Papa and used in reference to Pat Farrell, who is obviously of um, Irish descent as well so I enjoyed that um, the call back to Alpha Papa which was uh, nice to see yes and I think you're actually if you think about it Nick you're making our own point here that that's why this is a good episode because if you look into it this episode references every era of Partridge that there's been it's just great Uh, Uh, you're wrong mate it wasn't very good (laughs) (laughs) Martin's claiming that Alan would be welcome on the farm but he doubts he'd be any use he says your man will be feeding turf to the sheep trying to get a pig to lay an egg Uh, Simon chips in saying trying to milk the bulls uh, but that's too far for Alan he doesn't want Simon joining in the pylon he barely tolerates him making jokes on his own um, and then Martin gets it even more wrong by going, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I love that. So he, do, he does the ha ha, what, two or three times? And also the, who the hell is that? He does that about four times as well. And I love that because what's the worst thing that can happen to Alan? Somebody not knowing who he is. Yeah. That's excellent. <laughs> who, li- who literally looks like him. There's been so many yeah. opportunities for someone to say to Martin, oh, you <laughs> look like that Alan Partridge fella, but nobody in, in has. 20, yeah. Think about it, in his 25-year career, nobody has said to him, you look a bit like that guy that's on telly. Uh, and Alan claims that he hasn't done a half for a long time. I mean, he did it in the last episode. Um, and, <laughs> and the episode before and that. And the episode before that. And, uh, <laughs> and we've already heard it in one earlier on in the episode. Obviously, he didn't say that, but we have heard it a couple of times. Um, but uh, Simon does out him as uh, using it to mm. get into the Johnny Walker tent at Silverstone. Yep. Yeah. Very good. I thought that was great. He'd lost his wristband. Um, in fact, there are quite a few moments in this series where Simon will reveal something that's happened behind the scenes, as it were, like Alan practicing his speech in the car or something like that. It's yeah, quite good. I do quite enjoy. Fun. I enjoy. I enjoy when Alan has to resort to um, his catchphrases or uh, doing the uh, pose on the bouncing back book to, to act as some form of identification. <laughs> Um, and uh, Martin obviously at this point is having the time of his life he's not put his hand in his pocket since he left and yeah. I paid him £500 to jibber and jabber um, but he has uh, put some of that money to good use uh, by getting Alan an illegal tortoise with his name misspelled on it <laughs> Alan uh, which once they've cleared up they're going to report that to the RSPCA Alan at least says that it's a, a lovely gesture a lovely Irish gesture at that point in the episode, uh, I audibly cheered because uh, that meant that my predictor partridge came true. So uh, yeah. I'm oh, very, yeah. very happy did. about that. It's um, also worth pointing out there is a major continuity error towards the end of this scene. Uh, if you go back and look again, uh, I will say somebody did tweet this, but I spotted it on a, on a rewatch before I saw the tweet. Um, there is a point at the end where Jenny is saying, thanks for coming on the show, and the tortoise box is on the sofa next to them, but it's before they've been given the tortoise. Ah, good spot. Interesting. Incredibly sloppy editing. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, Shocking. And, uh, it becomes apparent that Martin's family have come prepared for a song, haven't they? I mean, they've all brought their instruments into the studio. Uh, I mean, Yeah, that is- annoyed me a bit. It's a bit weird, but I mean, essentially, this is a grab what you can venture for Martin and his family, isn't it? They've got 500 quid. They've not put their hand in their pockets since they left. They've handed over, a, presumably, one of their least attractive tortoises. And now they get to do a, a lovely pro IRA song on the BBC in prime time. I would say, I know you need to obviously suspend disbelief a bit with this show, but 
the fact they're saying to them, please stop playing, you're going to ruin a VT we've got lined up. In the real world, they would just cut from a studio to the VT anyway. They wouldn't, they wouldn't linger on that. Yeah. I mean, there are so many instances the joke, of that. So, yeah. like, the, the Twitter feed being unmoderated. Like, yeah. <laughs> we can just keep that scrolling. Like, there, know, are so many, yeah. there are so many things. Uh, a question to the group. When Martin started singing, did you see where this was going to end? No. I, I wasn't sure where this was going. Because it starts off like a kind of a, a, a like love a love song, song yeah. or like a ballad or something, doesn't it? And yeah. then obviously yeah, it turns into song. an IRA song. It basically yeah. turns into a pro IRA medley. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, also, question to Nick: How angry were you with Martin that he scuppered a perfectly good dog montage? Yeah, well, exactly. I could have seen Alsatians in slow mo. Furious. <laughs> Absolutely. That's furious. the crux of the matter. And uh, literally about five minutes before we were due to press record, someone uh, uh, retweeted uh, Mr. Ken Shabby on Twitter, one of our followers, with an absolute bombshell that uh, in the background playing the guitar, the guy playing the guitar is actually Steve Brown, a.k.a. Glenn Ponder. And if you go to the credits and pause it, you will see that uh, Irish band member, one of them is listed as Steve Brown. That is our very good friend, well, not our good friend, but Alan's good friend, <laughs> the actor that plays Glenn, Glenn Ponder. So Fantastic. that's a lovely little touch. Nice little Easter egg there for the people with eagle if, eye. If there were prizes to, to give out, he would win a you'd win a prize for that. That that's prize worthy. He's been mentioned on the podcast. What more could he want? <laughs> um, a prize? A, a lot more. <laughs> Couple of choice phrases towards the end. Uh, Martin obviously tries to get Simon in on the action. He's like, "Come on, Simon!" <laughs> the big the big IRA chorus, uh, and then uh, refers to uh, the Daniel Craig impersonator as double O feckin' bollocks. Um, <laughs> and then that's amazing. As the episode end, as the episode ends, I think we're almost we're almost already on the baby cow um, uh, screen at the logo at this point. Uh, you hear Alan say, "That was like an advert for the IRA." Who can I blame? find out who booked them and sack her assumes it's a woman (laughs) notable Uh, and there we go that's the end of the episode imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
So uh, what did everybody think? I think we, I guess we know Nick's thoughts. No dogs. Yeah, no dogs. Um, so consistent, Irish. consistent um, scenes that for me weren't particularly funny. Some lazy writing, and in comparison to the other episodes, uh, I think it stood out as being comfortably the weakest thus far. Wow, I'd have to disagree. I think. Can I just ask Nick favorite bit? Uh, the, the opening scene where I was promised um, dogs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think. I think for me, uh, it, you know what? It's really hard because I think there are so many separate bits that all have worth to them. I actually think my favourite bits are there are just little subtle bits when it's Alan saying something about his ex-wife underneath Jenny or touching Jenny's arm and like losing his smile because someone's being racist. I still think those moments are my favourite bits. Um, I think it started off weak, but it snowballed and had a, a very fast gag rate towards the end. I thought Ruth and Simon were both used in much stronger ways. We had an extended scene with Lynn, which is rare. Uh, I thought mm. Monty, Monty Don was very game and played himself you know, uh, uh, very well, given that he's not an actor. Um, there's some great detail about Alan's life worked in, and the double Coogan at the end was a risk that I think really paid off. Um, the other thing I'm, I'm starting to love about the series as a whole is you can see where it benefits from the other things that Coogan's done. I think back when he was mainly doing Alan, it was it was more manic. Uh, but now there's no other Coogan creations competing. So you've got Alan has got a little bit of the kind of Tommy Saxondale confidence and the occasional win around him. You've got a bit of the emotional weight and the sleight of hand of his portrayal of Stan Laurel or Martin Sixsmith in uh, Philomenia. And you've got 20 years of in-jokes to sort of refine, reinvent mm. or occasionally just repeat. And I think it really works. Um, yeah, you've sold it to me. <laughs> uh, I think the big moments work in this episode. I think the intimate moments work in this episode. Uh, I thought it was great. Um, the, the the plot twist payoff in the Ruth section, the CPR section I found really, really funny, and the lookalikes bit is arguably a season highlight for me as well. Not really much chuff this week. Uh, the little moments, get out of the fucking way at the beginning, egg and onion, yeah. <laughs> double O fucking bollocks. <laughs> Those little yeah. throwaway lines I got a lot from this episode. Um, and in terms of work, bits i think possibly the monty don section went on a little bit too long there could have been something cut from that um and the old woman section was a bit predictable um in terms of of, of what was going to happen there yeah i, I think I, I didn't say what my worst bit was but that would be it yeah as, as a section as a whole and i think that's a really interesting point that for me i'd agree the vt sections that worked really well whereas i felt last week some of them fell a bit flat because they went on a bit i think we've said throughout this uh, maybe this is something to talk about at the end but i think we've spoken a little bit throughout this in this, this series run that um the vt sections can go on a little bit is there an argument do you think to say that going from 20 to 22 minutes in mid-morning matters all the way up to 29 minutes um is is quite the challenge for the for the Gibbons brothers and, and, and Steve to take on. And it's just, I think they're trying to, the reason these things tend to go mm. on a little bit too long is that they've just got more airtime to fill, which is a, a bigger challenge in itself, literally. Yeah, I mean, I guess they're basically taking the confined uh, comedy that they did in Mid Morning Matters within a studio and add, and those extra nine minutes are the VT bits effectively here, aren't they? So yeah, they're, 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 they're padding it out, or not padding it out, but they're extending it to 29 minutes using VT bits that we generally feel are the weaker parts. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I never find myself, you know, clock watching or, or checking the time. Like it does, it does go oh, like now. Um, quickly. And I, <laughs> oh God, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How long has it been? Um, 
But I don't think it suffers from being half an hour. And look, fair play to them. Oh the, yeah, definitely. The, the gag, the gag rate is is high. As I say, it, the writing is so strong. And if you think of something like um, like Partridge, uh, that's also you know that's a that's a long piece of work that doesn't really have any low points. And I think that's where when the writing isn't strong, it really stands out because we know that they can deliver over the course of an hour for something like Scissor Dial or you know however many pages of text on on iPartridge. So I don't think it's that the format is too long. I think it's perfectly fine. It's just for whatever reason there are the odd few moments that just for me. But I think I would argue that 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 Scissor Dial and um, and uh, I Partridge just does have its sort of weaker moments. There are sections that you go, oh, these aren't quite as good as the other bits. And I think you know you're never going to get a one hundred percent hit record, are you? It's it's impossible. So true. Well, we've all discussed what we think of um, the episode, so um, we could potentially look to um, run a poll. Uh, if What's a radical idea, to, Nick? <laughs> a radical idea to see. Um, we've obviously on, on Twitter. You could have up to four, I believe, um, uh, options in the poll. So we've had four episodes, so we could uh, see what uh, our, mm. our dear listeners think. But is it time to reveal the results of last week's poll it. first? It is. So we asked the important question: Which is the most premium snack? The options were penguin, topic, double decker, and shortbread. And I'm pleased to announce uh, that shortbread came in at number one with forty percent. It was double decker uh, at number two with thirty-seven percent. Uh, topic uh, number three with sixteen percent. And I'm sorry, penguin, <laughs> a poor man's Tim Tam. <laughs> it's seven percent for you. Entirely fair results. Um, so that's all that we had to talk about for this episode. But uh, we're going to now look at the IMDb scores and the overnight figures. So yeah, looking at IMDb for um, episode four, which went out uh, last night, uh, 8.6 out of 10, which is joint top with last week's episode. Obviously, it's worth noting that obviously uh, scores change as more reviews come in over time. So just a quick recap on what we've got so far. Episode one has 7.8 out of 10 from 215 results. Episode two has 8.1 from 152 uh, votes. Uh, episode 3 has 8.6 from 99 and episode 4 has 8.6 from 37 so perhaps at the end of the series um we'll be able to get a good idea of of of, of what the 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 proper rankings are because i think people watch it immediately go that was brilliant and then people perhaps watch it a little bit later on and go oh yeah it was good and then give it a slightly lower rating so they they fl- they change over time and then the viewing figures, uh, so we've got the overnights, and it was 1.63 million. So last week it was 1.68. So are we seeing a bit of a plateau now in terms of where the natural level is for this series, do we reckon? Yeah, I think people that like it like it, and they're sticking with it now. Yeah. I'd be really interested to see if we get the consolidated figures when the whole series run has happened, and whether mm-hmm. it is just a case there was an appointment to view with it week one, and after that fact, people are just taking their time to catch up. Because I mean, I, maybe some people will even wait till all six episodes have aired and then watch all of it. Yeah, do a three-hour binge. Why not? Um, okay, well that's the uh, that's the official scores and viewing figures. Uh, we've got a few things left for this week's episode. Uh, the next thing is to play predict the partridge. So the current scores: Nick and Stabber on one. I'm on 0.5, and Dark is on zero. <laughs> Here were our predictions for episode four. I predicted that Alan will have met Jenny or tried to pin her down on a meeting. That did not occur. Nick said that a dog will feature in the show. Now, this is a point of contention. 
dogs were discussed, you didn't see a single live dog in the entire episode, did we? So did that occur or did it not occur? Did not occur. Did not occur. Okay, did not occur. <laughs> there were pictures of dogs. You didn't say picture of dog. You said a dog, <laughs> a dog will feature in the show. I wouldn't say it featured. Yeah. Well, it, I'd say it did because there was a picture of a dog. Do we need a pie? featured. <laughs> All right, well, should we well, should we give Nick the benefit of the doubt? Let's give him half a point half like a I point. had last week. Yeah, okay. Fair. Okay, so uh, Tom Stab said an animal other than a dog in the studio. This did occur, Hooray. thanks to Alan, the illegal tortoise. Yes. Uh, and Tom Dark said Alan will embellish upon the way he's introduced. Sadly, this did not occur. So, Oh, hang on. He did run into the studio, though. Is that not half a point? Absolutely not. You know that's not what you meant. <laughs> so uh, the, new, the new scores, uh, Tom Stab is on two. Nick is on 1.5. I'm on 0.5. And Dark is still on zero. Uh, so it's time for Predictor Partridge for next week. What do we think is going to happen? in episode five who wants to kick us off uh, i'm happy to go first uh, my prediction is that alan will do something to really offend jenny uh, i'm happy to go second and i'm going to say you see a pixelated pair of breasts <laughs> <laughs> have you got one tom okay i'm gonna go for alan has had lucy sacked Ooh, oh nice. that's interesting nice uh mine's also lucy related uh, i know from the program synopsis that next week is going to be the me too episode so i've said alan will use the context of me too to create another awkward moment between simon <laughs> and lucy you see what i should have done there is read the episode synopsis for next week and then made my <laughs> prediction well there we go <laughs> um so all that's left uh is to give you our contact details instagram at monkey tennis pod twitter at the partridge pod facebook.com slash the partridge pod the partridge pod at gmail.com 07923600017 is the monkey tennis hotline uh, we'll be back soon with a feedback episode and we're also going to be covering alan's exploits for comic relief very soon um, but before we go we just throw over to our cat pa lynn 50 for her views on this week's episode Wow, uh, Lynn, unbelievable. Apologies for the meowing and the racism there, everyone. Uh, on that bombshell, that is the end of this episode of Monkey Tennis, the Alan Partridge fan podcast. From all of us here, thanks and goodbye. Goodbye. Heard it. Aha! Damn! Back of the net. Monkey Tennis? In no way, you big spastic, you're a mentalist. Damn! Sorry, that was the noise. Monkey Tennis? I got uh, really drunk last night. Sick everywhere. Monkey tennis? Uh, minor criticism. More distance between the eggs and the bean. Monkey tennis? I wish things had turned out differently, but I'm glad they didn't. Monkey tennis? Where's my assistant? I do not know. You're unpacking. Basically, beef tea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are you on an E? Monkey tennis? Can I have a glass of water, please? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.